Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Part 1, Chapter 29 of Johnny Reb and Billy Yank by Alexander Hunter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Into Maryland. On Monday, the march was continued toward Fairfax Courthouse. The rain that had held up during the night now came down in streams. We had eaten the last mouthful in the morning. Indeed, but for the contents of the captured haversacks, there would have been nothing. Nearly all of that day we tramped in the mire of the roads, while a constant cannonading went on in our front. Late in the evening we found ourselves again at Chantilly, that stately old residence over which some of us had stood guard in the lovely autumn nights of sixty-one. Had not the rain poured in torrents, we would have arrived at an earlier hour, in time to participate in the sharp action which our van had had with Kearney's division. However, it made no difference, for our ammunition was soaking, and we had not a gun in the division that would have gone off. Standing there in the summer rain, we beheld the change that a few months had produced in the old place. The fences were leveled, the outbuildings had been torn down, the splendid fortress of trees cut, every shade tree and even every fruit tree felled for fuel. As for the house, it was scarcely habitable. The furniture had been smashed for kindling wood, the windows dashed to pieces with the butt-end of muskets, the plastering had been knocked from the walls, and the rooms so defaced and defiled that they discounted a hog-pen. On what was formerly the lawn lay many wounded and dead, among others General Phil Kearney, whose remains most of our soldiers viewed, the most brilliant, chivalrous, dashing officer in the Yankee army. He was killed in a charge. He rode in the advance with his sword in the air, and the bridle rein held between his teeth, for he had lost his arm in the Mexican War. Had General Kearney lived, he would probably have commanded the Federal Army. His body was sent by General Lee under a flag of truce to the enemy's lines. The two forces were but a little distance apart, the one flushed with victory, the other sullen with defeat, and for the nonce equally limp, wet, and miserable but for the dash of the rain, the sharp halt and challenge of the enemy's pickets could readily have been heard. It is said by fishermen who ought to know that eels at length not only get used to being skinned, but after a while take it as a pleasure. On the same principle, perhaps, soldiers come to enjoy a repose in a driving rain and being cradled in a mud puddle. Be that as it may, their sleep was as sweet and sound as they had lain on beds of down. While their frames were so inured to hardships and seasoned by exposure, that what would have threatened illness and death a year ago now had become a matter of the slightest moment. 
The waking the next morning was a stiff affair, not a bit of fun anywhere about it. Then it took so much time to straighten limbs and warm bodies that had been chilled through. To our great delight, though, the warm beams of the sun darted between the rifts in the clouds and dried the wet clothing, but even then the situation was deplorable. Some few had a ration left, which they ate quietly without attracting any attention, while haversacks of the majority were turned wrong side out, and the very dust of defunct crackers scraped out and devoured. One man of an enterprising turn of mind carried his resources so far as to boil his greasy haversack for a soup, a soup purely of his own invention. He said it filled him up anyhow, and did away with the goneness in his stomach. About noon the regimental sutler was on the spot, having followed the command with a steady persistence and faithful, untiring devotion, worthy of a better cause. Animated by love of money, that root of all evil, he had crossed battlefields, forded runs, and breasted storms to join us. A charge was made on his wagon by the starving soldiery, some straddling the horses for a place of vantage, others standing on the wheels and struggling to get a first grab at the viands. Jonah, that was our sutler's name, was equal to any emergency, and like his illustrious namesake, could not be kept down. He had no conscience, or if he had, he stretched it to any required distance, which was in his case tantamount to many miles. Like Chester also, he charged and obtained his price too, having sold out his entire stock, which consisted entirely of edibles. Jonah, with an empty wagon, a full wallet, he was no credit business, and a light heart turned his horse's head rearward and disappeared through the shadows of the woods. Just as the wheels of the wagon were tumbling away in the distance, a member of the 17th made a piteous complaint to a body of his comrades. He said that notwithstanding the high respect he entertained for every member of his valued regiment, who were all honorable men, yet one of their body corporate, who had so far forgotten his meums and tums, as to appropriate an oilcloth that had been most serenely and unsuspiciously left drying on the bushes. He stated that he had gone through the brigade on the strength of an extemporized search warrant, but without the faintest shadow of success. He assured us that he was without a blanket and would be in a woeful fix, for the ground was still damp and the nights cool. He implored us that if any of our number had seen his property walk away from the bush, in spite of the Eighth Commandment, to reveal its hidden quarters and make him a friend for life. It is needless to say that no sign of the lost property was ever vouchsafed. So artfully were these constant thefts accomplished. And so our soldier told us some time after that for a makeshift he had begged a newspaper, a copy of the New York World, and lain on it. Inasmuch as it had kept the dampened earth from personal contact, it answered its purpose quite well. He asserted that for two weeks he had had nothing to lie upon but that paper, which he would fold up as carefully every morning as a lawyer did his parchment, or the beauty her curl papers, but that on one occasion it had rained, and he held nothing in his hand but so much pulp. He told us, with incipient tears in his eyes, that he would always cherish a tender feeling for the New York world as long as the bullets might spare him. But on the morning of the 3rd of September all these trivialities of the camp, 
all these little incidents which made up camp life were merged into the interest of the march when an army no longer a mass of individual interests became a unit to be thrown upon the force a force inspired by one aim moved by the will of one man counted as so much manpower toward one end the head of the column was turned northward passing by frying pan church which name was rather suggestive of some hot gospel and a place that hath no seasons like the tropics still no sign of our commissary wagons and not a mouthful of food had the men that day some of our best soldiers were left on account of sickness and many began to straggle from ranks to seek in farmhouses along the route something to allay their gnawing hunger of course each one was a serious loss for we never saw any of them until after the campaign keeping at a steady gait the column passed guilford station on the loudon and hampshire railroad and then turning headed up the pike for leesburg all along the route the citizens testified their delight at our advance and brought food to the road all that had been left them to give and offered it to the hungry troops through this kindness most of us obtained one meal that day though some were not so fortunate and could only look longingly back and curse the wagons that night we camped near drainsville by six in the morning we were on the tramp again steadily one by one the strength of the army decreased as soldier after soldier weak with hunger dropped out of ranks and out of sight the farmhouses all along the way we would find filled with sick and straggling men there was a direful and shameful blunder somewhere about this time here was the great army of northern virginia which after four months fearful fighting and constant action with ranks decimated by the casualties of battle and sickness on its way as an army of invasion and instead of being reinforced and its losses repaired instead of strict discipline being maintained instead of being properly fed they were allowed to march day after day with no rations while each soldier was suffered to leave ranks and roam at will all over the country then thousands were barefooted and obliged to fall behind because of their stone bruises again not a single article of clothing had been issued and the men had not changed their shirts for two weeks the clothing left under guard on the battlefield of bull run was never returned in fine instead of having a thoroughly equipped army to invade the north there were long lines of limping starving soldiery streaming wearily on as disheartened and miserable in feeling as they looked there was no elasticity or vim in the crowd napoleon that master in the art of war uttered the maxim that an army only moves on its belly and if our general officers were blind to the fact the privates felt it every soldier in the ranks saw the wretchedness and mismanagement of the situation and it had a very bad effect it looked as if his government had even ceased to care about keeping him alive by feeding him and so many lost heart and became embittered toward the officers two days of continued and steady tramping brought us to the little town of leesburg not far from the potomac river the commissary wagons had not arrived and in those two days as in the weeks past not a single ration had been issued the most the officers could do was to bivouac their commands alongside the cornfields on the route and let each one help himself the amount of provender which a hungry soldier could get outside of under such circumstances would shame a dray horse and cause a tow-path mule to blush with envy some have been known to stow away sixteen ears of corn at a single